You're listening to GGR Pirate Radio. Don't be a juice bag. It's called Pirate Radio. That was that was a hell of a lot of fun for our first episode. Like, I, we didn't go anywhere near what I had planned on talking about. I literally told Steve and MC, hey, here's our plan for this evening. Here's what we're going to talk about on the episode. And you want to know what we actually talked about? None of the things that we were going to talk about. <laughs> yeah, that's how it goes. But that's okay, because it, we, we got to know our two newest podcasters, our two newest members of the GGR family. Um, and now, one of those members is going to be joining us uh, again, because we are going to be... Going back, we did two episodes already about this, the best albums of the 90s. Um, we are coming back to this one more time because essentially this is an editorial. There were a lot of albums that we missed. There were a lot of albums that were really goddamn good in the 90s, and we want to discuss those tonight. So um, I'm bringing on um, one of those new contributors. Um, I, we got to come up with a cool podcast name for you, too, because, like, I mean, I, I, no shade to you at all, but Janelle Hart, <laughs> Mouth of the South, kind of trumped you. Um, I know, that's fantastic. I mean, Trisha, okay. Mary, Trisha Mary, quite contrary. No, that doesn't work. No. no. Come on. No. Can you hear my dog I, in I'm the background? Let me, hold on. My dog is like rolling around, so I don't want you to <laughs> wonder what that noise is. He, he has like this handicapped growling noise. Aw. And he goes, like it's, it's, it's so bizarre. So, yeah. Oh. I just love I love that like there's some podcasts that like when they come on they're very like this is the way we're going to present things and we're going to be professional and robotic and then we got us where it's like I'm playing video games and eating a piece of pizza and dogs are rolling around <laughs> making special noises. I didn't think I was watching <laughs> porn in the background like <laughs> I was like no my poor Ralphie. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I we... don't know what you want me want a, a podcast name for me. I have no idea. Well, you get to choose. You get to choose that. That's that's your thing. Yep. Like when it was like for whatever reason, Steve and I came up with this dumbass idea when we first started doing uh, GGR <laughs> that we were gonna have pen names. Do you remember this, Steve? That was so stupid. Why, was, why did we think that was something we needed to do? I don't know. Like it was. We were like, hey, let's come up with fake names. And like you were, you were, you, where were you? You were Steve I was, Rogers. I was. I was Pete Rogers. Pete, that's what it was. Pete Rogers. Spider-Man and Captain America were my favorite characters, so I just took oh, yeah. parts of their names. I was um I was Frank Landau because Frank Landau I, I was talking to a customer on the phone one day and he was drunk off his ass. So I tell him my name, Mike Lunsford. You know, and, as you are when you're shopping for insurance. <laughs> yeah, right. Yes. So I tell him I'm like, you know, my name is Mike, how can I help you? And like his response was, Yeah, Frank. And I'm like, how all right, fine. And then he's like, what's your, what's your last name, Frank? And I'm like, uh, well, it's Mike, Mike Lunsford. And he goes, all right, well, Mr. Landau, thank you so much for your time. And I, I just died. And I was like, that's my new fake name. So if we're ever at like an event or something like that, and they're like, hey, here's a free giveaway for something, and we need your name and your phone number. I literally have a Frank Landau at gmail.com email address, and I put Frank Landau on, on stuff. So it's like if you ever watched um, King of the Hill – how uh, Dale always uses Rusty Shackelford as his fake name. Frank Landau is my Rusty Shackelford. <laughs> I'm Ken Adams. Uh, bringing friends back. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> oh my god! I forgot about Ken Adams. Oh my god! You have a you have like a kind of a smattering of fake names because you also have GC Rodriguez. Okay, so GC <laughs> Rodriguez. All right, so GC Rodriguez was when I was I was working for Game Crazy. Game Crazy was the video game arm of Hollywood Video, right? Um. 
And our power in our building got knocked out in a tornado and it had been out for a week. And I called the power company to figure out what the heck the deal was and why we weren't getting power back, right? So I called them and I gave them our phone number hoping they would find our account to like link to the corporate thing and get it all fixed, right? So I put the phone number in there and they say, oh, is this Mr. Rodriguez that I'm speaking to? I'm like, yes, Game Crazy Rodriguez. That's my name. And... I was so mad, but like I, I said this out loud and one of my assistant managers started laughing and he laughed for like 20 minutes. He's like, that's the funniest damn thing I've ever heard. He's like, that's our fake name now. We're going to order like pizzas and stuff under that name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I had I have, I have two fake names. Oh, and while we're talking about fake stuff real quick here too, um, I, I didn't find a means to use it, but I... <laughs> So somebody asked me the other day, they were like, oh, hey, you know, what, what's, what's your phone number? And I wanted to just be a jerk and give them a fake phone number. But I didn't want to give them my normal fake phone number, which is 1-800-ASK-FOR-ASS, um, I, because I didn't want to offend them. So because that, that could be a little bit offensive. I can give that one to Steve and Steve will think it's funny. But like, <laughs> I gave him the Hall & Oates phone number. Do you guys know about the Hall & Oates phone number? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man! So when I was working on team, yeah, I, I I was like, hey, um, there was a customer and he was like real mad. Um, here's the phone number. His name was uh, uh I think is it was H Oates. It was like it was Holland. I think is his first name was like, like I pronounced it like it was the country. Yeah, Holland. And, and, and he's like, he, he he's real mad. You're gonna need to talk to him. And so he dialed the number up and then got the Holland Oates. <laughs> <laughs> So the number... Sorry, I didn't mean to steal your story. Or... No, you're good. I wanted you to do that because I knew you were the one that told me about this in the first place because I definitely called it from work too. Um, so <laughs> the the second part is is like working in retail management, right? Sometimes you get some really, really shitty, mean people, right, that are just mean-spirited and hateful for no reason. And the only thing that you have in your arsenal of revenge is um, petty bullshit, um, and what I would do is, is when people would get shitty with me about the various problems that they had with their video games and their dumb shit, I would give them, instead of giving them the number for 1-800-4-MY-XBOX, I would give them 1-800-ASK-FOR-ASS every single time. So, <laughs> just because, because I wanted to, first off, it was, it, it was kind of a test, right? I wanted to see how they were going to respond. Because if they, if you give that to a customer and the customer responds with, like, they call you back and they're like, well, I, I don't know what happened. I think I got the wrong number because uh, and they wouldn't tell you exactly why. First off, that just made me laugh. That just, I just died inside. I died a little bit because it was so funny. But like every now and then you would get, I had one guy that was like a total dick and he's yelling and screaming at me and I give him that phone number, right? And then he calls back two minutes later and I see it on the caller ID and I was like, oh, this would be fun. And I pick up the phone and he goes, I don't know who told you that this phone number was for Xbox, but it wasn't. He goes, and now I owe $25 to the phone line. And I started laughing. <laughs> and he, he was like, that was actually pretty good, man. And I was like, all right, here's a real phone number. And like... It's actually funny, like, this guy and me, we're actually friends now, like, because like, because of this, like, 15 years ago, we became friends, because I gave him a, a, a sex line for a phone number. <laughs> Anyways, um, let's talk about the 90s. Uh, <laughs> no need for a good segue, let's just jump right into it, right? No, none. Yeah. Um, the great thing about the 90s, in my opinion, there is. And we're going to start with an album that we did not mention that I honestly think is the biggest gap in our 90s list. And that was uh, Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill. Oh, yeah, that this, was good. This album, 
from top to bottom was was just fucking phenomenal. It might be one of the best pop albums that's ever been made. Like it, the whole album is is just dynamite. And in a time when, because the '80s kind of set the tone, there was like, hey, females can be pretty badass when it comes to rock. We saw a little bit of it in the '70s with Heart and with J- Joan Jett and the Blackhearts, things like that. So you started seeing this thing as much more prevalent, and Alanis Morissette just kind of put it all together. But not only did she have this great pop album, she had a song on there. You ought to know. That was like one of the most personal, like revenge songs I've ever heard. Uh, and like this, like blew I think everybody away. And then of course there's all that Dave Coulier stuff. We don't know for sure if it was him or it wasn't him, but like supposedly Uncle Joey was the one in the theater that she went down on. Um, but just just such an incredible album. Um, but that's what was great about the '90s is as everything kind of changed. All the things we knew about music were no longer the same. I mean, Nirvana did that when when the grunge scene started. You you were seeing strong female singers coming out and saying some hard-hitting things, and it wasn't just the typical poppy, like, oh, hey, this boy's cute, and I think I want to go on a date with him. Like, it's... There was a lot more soul and substance to music in the 90s, and it really just took what all of the other generations had done before and, and really ran with it. And that's why I love 90s music so much, personally. Yeah, me, um... For me, Alanis Morissette, and I used to talk about this a long time ago whenever we were describing it, but it's a perfect album to signify the 90s, you know, where it comes out because it's it's very lyrical. So, you know, everything is really hard hitting with the words. And then it also has that heavy guitar and all of that that we were used to in the 90s as well. So, and it was filled with angst, everything in the 90s, you know, nobody was happy in the 90s, but it, um, for me, it just signifies the 90s, if you summed it up into a song. Yeah, I, I, I would tend to agree with that for sure. So that's the little tease that we're going to give you guys here. That's the beginning of this episode. We're talking about 90s music. We're going to go ahead and close out this particular chapter when it comes to like the alternative side, the, the rock and the alternative that sort of mix of things when it comes to the 90s. We are going to come back and talk a little hip-hop and R&B later in another episode. But stay tuned. Another great episode of GGR Pirate Radio is coming up. We've got myself, Mike Lunsford. We've got Steve Monick. We've got MC Brooks. And we have the newest contributor to GGR Pirate Radio. Uh, Her name is Trisha. And we will be starting this episode right now. We are starting in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, broadcast starting. You're listening to GGR Pirate Radio. Don't be a juice bag. Do it! Do it! Come on! Kill me! I'm here! Come on! Do it now! This is called Pirate Radio. And as the puck drops, the words that DC fans have been waiting to hear since 1974, the Washington Capitals are the 2018 Stanley Cup champions. Lady, I'm afraid I'm going to have to ask you to leave the store. Who the hell are you? Name's Ash. Housewares. 
Wayne, you gonna weigh in on this? Oh, there's nothing better than a fart. Except kids falling off bikes, maybe. I could watch kids fall off bikes all day. I don't give a shit about your kids. It's called Pilot Radio. But Peter, why would they make you president? Well, maybe it's because I can recite all 50 states in a quarter of a second. This is called Pilot Radio. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? Be like, oh, these are stupid guns. Guns uh. are for jerks. <laughs> this is called Pilot Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, my name is Mike Lunsford, and this is GGR Pirate Radio. Welcome back to another episode that is all about the 90s, totally for sure, radical, all of those other 90s words that we all love to use, uh, as if... Um, tubular. Tubular, yeah, gag me with a spoon. Um, what else? Um, I got nothing. That's pretty much all I can remember. That and, and everybody's jeans. I remember that everybody's jeans were, were too long for them. And, like, that was okay because you were supposed to do that. You're supposed to step on them and then wear them out so they were frayed on the ends. <laughs> and they would get wet. Yes. When you would walk outside, they were always wet. Yes. yes. It was awful. The 90s were a very wet time. It was gross. It was disgusting. <laughs> it was nasty. It was gross. Everybody. Just all the time. Um, <laughs> this is GGR Pirate Radio. We are on greatgeekrefuge.com. Check out the website. Lots of great articles. Lots of great podcasts. And this one is no different. Another great episode of talking about 90s music. It is one of my favorite topics in the world to talk about. Joining me this evening, I've got the the old standbys, the guys that we know we can rely on. That is Steve Monick, the co-founder of GGR. Just here for the free snacks. <laughs> We've also got uh, MC Brooks, who is now, like, I would say, like, he's elevated himself from just contributor. He's like, he's like podcasting partner is what I would call him. I think that's a pretty good title, wouldn't you? Would you think? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I'll take that. Yeah. MC Brooks is with us. And then we also have our newest uh, contributor. Um, we're going to come up with a cool podcast name for her. Um, right now, it's it's just Trisha. Um, it might be Trisha Mary K, but she's not affiliated <laughs> with the makeup thing, so don't try no. to buy makeup from her. I mean, you can, but it probably wouldn't work out. So anyways, anyways, here's Trisha. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> you got to earn a really, really awesome intro. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but guys, we're talking about '90s music. Um, we started off with Alanis Morissette's "Jagged Little Pill," um, just a great album. And and I want to start with our our newest uh, contributor because uh, Trish and I have been talking via text about uh, some of the various things because she was nice enough to listen to some of our old episodes and and then critique me harshly about them. Um, <laughs> You, you had a lot to say about the '90s, which is awesome because you're you're in our wheelhouse. You're you're in this this realm where we all love to talk about these things. What are some of the albums? And, and what we're going to do is we're going to go roundtable. So you'll give us an album. Um, we'll talk about it for a little bit, and then we'll go to the next person. We'll each add in an album, and then just let this thing go uh, until we've we've exhausted this completely. Um, give me the one that was like that just stood out to you. Where you're just like, how the hell did you idiots not add this one in here? Oh, gosh. August and everything after. 100%. Uh, yes. Uh, the Counting Crows. Yes. I'm obsessed. I've been obsessed with them since I eighth grade, 14, 15. Yeah. So. That sounds about yeah. right. And, like, in this area, too, like, every every girl I knew who liked the Counting Crows was always, like, 
She was the girl that, like, you had to, like, be on, on top of your game if you were going to talk to her. You couldn't just be like, hey, so how about that episode of Seinfeld? No, she was smart, and she went to, like, coffee shops. <laughs> and you're like, but this is middle school. I'm not allowed to drink coffee. Like, <laughs> Counting Crows fans were, like, legit. Like, you had to bring your A game if you were going to talk to a girl that liked Counting Crows. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we did. The The lyrics were the things that got me, though, because everything was you know there was a reason for it like there was so much depth behind it and it um he took so many influences and put that forward in his music that um you know van morrison and um the mambas and the papas and all of that and like tied it into that 90s sad depressing angsty era so it for me it was just I think he's a lyrical genius. I still do to this day. I love him. I have the torrent on my phone where I download the music from their website. So. Oh, nice. Um, <laughs> the funny thing about, um, and why can I not remember his name right now? Uh, the lead singer of... Adam Duritz. Thank you. So Adam, <laughs> Adam Duritz is like the... If you were going to... If you had to put a person in a time capsule that... that, that when you talk to them, they are the 90s, it's him. And here's why. So his music sounds 90s. He looks 90s because he's got dreads, right? Dreads were big in the 90s. Um, he's got the soul, he's got like the goatee, not like the full beard. He's got just the goatee. Like, but then not only that, he dated, I can't remember if it was Jennifer Aniston or if it was Courtney Cox, but he dated one it of them was from all Friends. Of them. He dated all it of them. Okay. Them. But like, it was Matt this... LeBlanc, <laughs> Chandler, whatever his name was, Matthew Perry, he all did, of them. He dated Janice, <laughs> all of them, all of them, just everybody. Um, yeah, like this, he, this dude is the 90s. Like, he just, like, it, it's, it, it's in his DNA. And like, it was. I was never a huge fan of theirs, but like, it, it's one of those things. Like Steve was saying with the Beatles, like you just have to give them the knowing nod of respect. It's the same thing with Counting Crows for me. Like you can't not at least respect what they did for music in the nineties. Yeah, and the the thing that got me with them too was when um, you know this was before YouTube and the Voice, and you know all we had was what Talent Search back then. And even then, that was mostly for kids. But, you know, they they legitimately got their start. You know, most of the, um, like, grunge bands were coming out of Seattle. And they came out of California. And the only reason that they even caught on was for um, the Rock and Roll Hall fame. They were asked to fill in for Van Morrison, which was um, one of Adam Duritz's idols. So it was just weird that they asked them to fill in for him when he got sick so um but after that night everybody was they were talking about him and they were signed with i think griffin i don't know that's that's awesome backstory because like i i didn't know anything about them at all other than like hey here's these new guys on mtv because like i was still a kid so <laughs> that's and for us man like knowing the story behind the music is really really cool too like as as you've heard um Steve knows a, a ridiculous amount about um, Dream Theater. Um, I did the same thing with for the Foo Fighters. I basically told them like the whole story of the Foo Fighters. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're we're all like huge music heads here at at GGR. Um, so yeah, August and everything after. Um, we're playing the Rain King right now, which is my like go to song off of that. But some of the other big ones on there was Round Here. Uh, Mr. Jones was like the one I feel like that got like that's the one that like was the radio. 
yeah. go-to. Like, everybody sure. played that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mr. Jones and Round Here. Um, for most of the fans, though, and they actually had a website. They must have purchased it because it goes back to CountingCrows.com now, but the big song off of that album was Anna Begins. Like, that is the best one. And that's been my favorite song since I was that little, since the first time I heard that album. Nice. Well, let's transition to that, then. We'll play a little Anna Begins here. That one, he he wrote about a girl that he met while he was, like, hiking in Australia. And they have, like, a, a romance for the summer. And um, he left, and she, he thought about her all the time. And he wished how he had married her, you know, and started a different life and wow. all that stuff. Yeah, and I guess it, once they got popular and stuff, she was like, oh, hey, you know. And um, she's happily married now, kids, all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, it's just crazy. She could have been Anna Duritz is what, she, what you're saying. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, and just to add to, add to his, his, like, 90s, like, resume, like, how 90s is that for him to be like, oh, hey, before I became a rock star, I was like, hiking in Australia and stuff. And, like, I, met I know, this right? Chick. Like, that's so... <laughs> yeah, he's just... He was a man of his time. That's for damn sure. Yep. Oh, man. Um, MC Brooks, what you got for us as far as these 90s albums that we might have missed? All right, so because I'm a little bit younger, 90s wasn't really my era, so the stuff that I know is, like, late 90s. Yeah, okay. It's fine. Late 90s, mostly early 2000s, but definitely uh, late 90s. And I know you said you were gonna, we were going to talk about, like, rap and hip-hop on a different one, but I'd be remiss if I didn't include this album just because I feel like uh, this album was kind of universally accepted and controversial at the same time. And that's uh, Eminem's Slim Shady LP, which did come out in 99. It was kind of his introduction into the mainstream. And it was, you know, for aside from the Beastie Boys, you know, one of the few rap songs that got played on like DC 101 with like, uh, what was it, My Name Is? Yeah, my name is and and just don't give a fuck and role model. Yeah, and and all of these and I mean, I I think you know I, I obviously my feel my feelings on Eminem have changed over the years because you know kind of grown up. But you know when you're like you know twelve, thirteen, fourteen, like in your teenage years, like it just felt really cool to have like rap music that felt every bit as angry as you did like you you got it a lot i feel like with a lot of the the bands that would not from the 90s like you really got to hear it through the the heavy guitars and like the heavy vocals and whatnot oh yeah but eminem eminem was different simply because you know he had this high-pitched kind of whiny sounding voice but he was just saying such crazy stuff in in such a violent way. It was just yeah. It was just really awesome, you know. Well, and and not to not to step on you with this at all. We we did talk about this one in one of the other episodes, ah. but that's the thing. We had a technical issue, so we lost half of our conversation with this. So all we did was oh, all you yeah. got from the original one was like, "Hey, Eminem, this is a great album," and then like that's it. So <laughs> <laughs> expounding on this is a little bit as good because I'm I'm with you with this. I remember I was like. 99, so I would have been 17. Um, I remember this album coming out and listening to it and thinking, like, first off, who the fuck is this guy? Like, (laughs) because it was, it was, you know how they had done, there was this thing in the 90s where they were doing, like, funny rap 
where like like I, I put it on that um, I put up the one hit wonders uh, thing on my Facebook page and I put up Skilo that song I wish it was a little oh, yeah. bit taller like yep. that's cute it's funny you know like but this was funny in a different way he was talking about mm-hmm. some dark shit but it was funny <laughs> and like at the same time you're listening to the lyrics that come out of this guy's mouth and how well he puts them together in a rap and you're just like this is this isn't just funny this is art and like that's that's what got me. I was like, this guy's really saying something, and I was blown away by that. But like, I've always been whether it's Billy Joel or Eminem. I mean, you don't think you could really compare those two people, but they're both storytellers. Yep. And like, yeah. the, the song that gets me is um, "As the World Turns." Oh yeah, absolutely. It's it's the most nonsensical, ridiculous piece of shit song on the on the face of the planet. But it is so goddamn entertaining. It is so ridiculous. I mean, when a guy literally can say in a song, and then I remembered this one magic trick, dun 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 dun, dun go go gadget dick. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's it's so crazy. Though. Where does he come up with that stuff? Exactly. Like, how, like, it, like how does he write it? You know, nobody else can do that. No. Yeah, it, it's it's just yeah. No, that that was it. Uh, go ahead, man. <laughs> Yeah, no, like it's, <laughs> it was just so wild. But I mean, I th- and I think the thing that is also kind of awesome about Eminem albums and the fact that he did the kind of music that he did is that he perfectly encapsulates what's going on in the world in one of these just kind of joke songs that's just really hilarious to listen to. Like, I, I just pulled up the lyrics to to Role Model. And, you know, he has a, a line on here. I get too blunted off the funny homegrown because when I smoke, I hit the trees harder than Sonny Bono. Like, who <laughs> thinks <Jeez>. of that? <laughs> so if I, and, yeah. and then the line and then, and then the line right, right after that. So if I said I never did drugs, that would mean that would mean I lie and get fucked more than the president does. <laughs> yeah. You know, like Which, it's... <laughs> it's like, who thinks of that? But it, but, it, but it gives you like really great insight into kind of what was going on back then like what were what, what what were we discussing as a larger society back then like yeah you know bill clinton getting impeached was a thing in the 90s and here's eminem encapsulating it in the really hilarious lyric well and one of the things too that, that a lot of people don't give him credit for that that i think is really i'm not going to say that he gets credit for all of this let me state that clearly okay but eminem brings up something that you don't hear in in many male driven music and that's problems with your mother. And that's, uh, yep. how, that's how I connected with him immediately. Because, like, I mean, my mom's no longer with us. God rest her soul. Um, we didn't always have the best relationship. So when he talks about the problems that he had with his mom in his music, like, that hit home. I was like, damn, I'm not the only person. Because nobody else talks about this in music. Because whether it be rap or rock or whatever, there's this masculine image that you have to portray that nothing ever bothers you and all you want is to party and get drunk and get bitches. And, like, Eminem didn't do that. And, like, that was... that was. I mean, like, I hate to use overuse this, but, that I mean, that was brave, dude. Like, this guy did not go the route other people went. He was going to talk about stuff that nobody else was talking about. And there's actually a skit on this album, too. Um... I can't remember what the skit's called, but basically it's like him talking to a record executive and the record executive is making fun of him for that and saying, like, how am I supposed to sell this album? You know, Dr. Dre's rapping about bitches, blunts and 40s and you're uh, (laughs) rapping about homosexuals and Vicodin. Like, it's... (laughs) Like, that's... 
that that's what makes him amazing. I, I mean, like, regardless of what he's doing now with his career, it doesn't matter. Like, at a time when nobody else was doing this, this guy was like, this is what I'm going to do, and it's going to be awesome. And, he, I mean, he became an icon because of that. So yep. I, can't, I can't talk trash about him that much. I mean, Steve, I don't think you've really gotten a jump in on this i mean do you have any any thoughts on on uh, eminem or the slim shady lp or anything like that well i know at the time like the there was like a pretty hefty debate like all right this this clown's coming out and you people are really going to call rap art and i think it oh, goes yeah. back to what you were saying mike that like he wrote about lyrically you know and this has nothing to do with anything about the actual content it's just more so that he wrote about what he knew in a form that made sense to him that merged like the emotion and the actual fact together and i think to me that's kind of what defines art you know what i mean it, it, it's you take a medium that you are talented in and then you weave in your own like personal life to it and i don't think there's a person alive who could deny that that's what he was doing yep. now just like all art it's subjective people like it people don't like it and i think that it was really brash and offensive in certain ways. And I think that rubbed people the wrong way. And sometimes art will do that, but I, I don't think you can definitely, I, I don't think there's anyone who could deny that it's art in that context. It's just whether or not you like that art. Well, that's up to you. Yep. Yeah. And, th and yep. this was in a time too. I mean, like we was, we were still within a decade of Tipper Gore going in front of uh, Congress and, and fighting for that parental advisory sticker on albums and the music industry like and a lot of people don't understand why the music industry fought that so hard like everybody's like well what's wrong with that that meant no album sales for some people because yep. there are parts of this country where if you have quote-unquote objectionable lyrics your parents will not let their kids buy it now is that a good thing yes in some ways it is but it also can be a very very bad thing because it doesn't necessarily mean it's it's a it's a form of censorship, and it's it, it, you you walk a fine line with that because it's we we have the First Amendment, like you have the right to free speech, but where does that where does that line get drawn? Like where, what's beyond free speech and what is free speech? It just it becomes a very sticky wicket, and guys like Eminem were were really on the forefront of this is who I am, this is what I'm gonna say. It might be offensive and it's gonna be harsh, but at this time, like MC was saying. You're, the younger generation was looking for this because we were angry and we didn't know why. And yep. these were the kind of albums like this and you know bands like Corn and Limp Biscuit. Like these guys were angry. We didn't know why the fuck they were angry either. I don't think they knew why they were angry. But we were like, hell yeah, <laughs> let's buy their album. This is gonna be awesome. Yeah, and and the other thing too with Eminem is if you really think about like the white rappers you got that that were out in the '90s, you didn't really have anyone who was like him or at least had the skill level he did like i love the beastie boys i can recite their first five albums from license to l through hello nasty by heart that's how, like i love them but like if you're comparing them to eminem from a style perspective they are totally different especially with where the beasties were in their career in the late 90s like eminem was was, was almost like an evolution of, of where they were 10 years prior when they were being really controversial with the License to Ill album. But like many of the, the, the white rappers that we had been introduced to in the 90s, uh, Beastie Boys, Vanilla Ice, uh, like and, and the rest are not really all that memorable, you know, because they weren't very good. And so then you have this guy who 
you know, is is not a gimmick. It's not a joke, and and can actually can actually really rap, and is actually really good at it. It's not it's not like it's it's joke rap on one hand, but it's also really serious. You have to respect that he's actually good at what he's doing. He's not a Vanilla Ice trying to you know mimic and imitate and, and live this life that he's never that he's not actually living before. And so I think that was also like part of the really big uh, appeal of him uh, when this album came out. Oh, you're absolutely right. I mean, authenticity was there. And I think that with some other acts, you would see, like you mentioned Vanilla Ice. He's a perfect comparison where you're kind of saying, like, it seemed like that's kind of what he was doing. The way you see, like, people when you're growing up in, like, high school and they start getting really into something because it's like, well, I don't really have anything else going on. I don't really know where I fit in. So I'm just going to kind of pick something and go all in on it. And that's what I'm just going to be. Whereas Eminem kind of felt like, no, this is like who he's been since day one. And he's just exhibiting that now, you know, to, to the public as opposed to, I don't want to say a persona, but it's kind of like Vanilla Ice. It, it almost feels like he chose to go that route where yeah, Eminem was like, this is who I am. He you know? totally did. That's that's, yeah. absolu- that's absolutely 100% accurate, Steve, because if you ever watch um i mean i don't know if anybody even has vh1 anymore but like the behind the <laughs> behind the music they talk about how vanilla ice was like up on stage rapping doing his thing and he was just a cheesy corny white boy rapper and some record executive saw him and he was like we can make this guy into a, a, a sell a billion records right and they basically remade his look and his sound like all of that just to sell records like i mean ultimately that's the goal for any you know, for any artist is to sell records, but like Eminem or um, Vanilla Ice was crafted like in a lab, basically. Like they put him together because they knew that he was going to be what the suburbs were looking for, basically. Yeah, that's what I think. Um, that's what I was going to say about Eminem is he reached a totally different demographic than what other hip hop had been reaching. And he was able people could relate to him you know the subdivision kids could relate to him the trailer park kids could relate to him the inner city kids could relate to him so that was something that everyone caught on with it you know what i mean yeah universal appeal you know for sure yeah um let's go on to our next uh next choice here steve what you got for us bud yeah let's go ahead and like radically change um, genres and sounds and everything, but I don't, I don't believe we touched on the album uh, What's the Story Morning Glory by Oasis. We did not, no. We did not touch on that at all. And that's when it's like, yeah, no, it just had like, you know, the fifth highest sales in the UK and, you know, six singles and all this stuff. I mean, it, it was a major, major album. And, um, I mean, I, I don't think there's a person alive who hasn't heard the song Wonderwall you know, in a gas station somewhere, you know, at the grocery store, just playing. I mean, that's just ubiquitous in our world now. Real um, quick, but there's some really, really good other songs on there. I Go wanted, ahead. I wanted to just say something real quick about this album and then just let you right back in on this. This is how popular this album is. If you go right now to Spotify, which we love Spotify, you guys should go to Spotify too, and maybe they'll give us money one day um, for this free plug. Um, if you go on their Spotify page for Oasis, they're most popular songs the first three songs are wonderwall don't look back at anger champagne supernova all three of those on what's the story morning glory 
653,844,000 listens for Wonderwall. Don't Look Back in Anger, 234,556,000. Champagne Supernova, 125,165,000. That, that's ridiculous. That's all, How far down is Some Might Say on their on their little list? Or do they just show the top three? Uh, this is the top five. Um, well, some, all right, but... Yeah. Either way. Some might say, I mean, that's the other one that's on there that's that's kind of a, a big deal. Like, I love that song. You literally, it, like, between, if you look at this album, it has over a billion listens. Like, the song's on, like, how, how nuts is that? Like, that's insane to think of, you know? Like, yeah, let me pull it, up. Yeah, some might It, it reminds me in that context, um, yeah. last time, like, we were talking about uh, Green Day's album uh, Dookie. Yeah. Like when you just kind of like look at the songs that are like the actual track listing and you're like, yep, heard that on the radio. Yep, heard that one on the radio. Yep. I mean, it just every song you're like, God, was this thing just a single machine? Like what happened here? <laughs> um, and I felt that was the same way with, with this album where you just go down the list and you're like, oh my God, these songs are all on one album. I yeah. thought this was their whole career. <laughs> no, it was just one monster album. And like, you want to talk about like living up to that dysfunctional rocker mantra? Jesus Christ, are these guys a mess? Oh like... yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. The, oh. the Gallagher brothers, right? I mean, it's um, yeah. There's there's some history. If you ever just want to like kind of read through it and go like, what? Like just read their Wikipedia page. <laughs> um, and like, well, it kind of got a context. So like, I love when it was on in the early 2000s. The show Lost, and that's like. The, the freaking, oh, what's it? What, uh, what were their characters' names? Charlie and his brother. Well, uh, Liam. They named the freaking other brother Liam. Yeah. Um, and uh, they um, they were modeled after um, Liam and Noel Gallagher. Uh, that, that, that was who they were based on. This, like, whole dysfunctional rock band um, from the U.K., and you know drugs and fighting and nonsense and i mean that's that's what they were based on and i was like man where did this all come from and that's when i kind of because i've always listened to oasis but that's kind of when i got into like the like you said the behind the scenes the behind the the album kind of stuff and i'm like oh my god what was going how did these guys even get like on the stage at, at any time you know what i mean yeah like how did they actually perform a tour <laughs> <laughs> I'm reading through their wiki page right now. I never really liked Oasis. I mean, I, you know, I listened to it and stuff, but I just, I never got into it. And it annoys me so much that it's played like it's one of the few bands that still continues to get played, you know? I, I feel like it was, they were one of the bands that I didn't want to like because it, everybody liked them, but I can't help but like them. Um, in this area, um, we've talked about it before, it got at length, um, the radio station WHFS was like the go-to for alternative rock in this area, but it was more yeah. than just the radio station, it was also like culturally, it was just like very important to everybody who was into music in this area. And they used to do this thing on Sunday nights, and it was called Just Passing Through. And Just Passing Through was like this unplugged session that they would have, where, where musicians, when they were coming through town, would come and they would play, and... Um, which one is the one with the really ridiculous eyebrows? Is it Liam or Noel? Um, Steve, do you remember? I think it's, I think it, I think it's Noel. It's Noel. I yeah, I so think it's 
No. Liam didn't show up to the session to record because he was out on a bender or something like that, or they were fighting or whatever. But Noel ended up doing this incredibly moving, um, unplugged version of Don't Look Back in Anger. And, or no, it was Don't Go Away that he, that he did. And it was just, it was so incredible. And I, and that, like, I remember that, like, specifically, like, stood out in my brain that that was the moment that I was like, all right, you know what? I may not really like these guys a whole lot, but, like, I got to at least respect them because they're damn good musicians. And, like, yeah. Like, never, never been a huge fan of theirs, but, like, definitely at least, like, respected what they were doing. I always liked um, the covers, like, to hear people, because I loved the lyrics to their songs. I just didn't like their style. Like, I didn't like the way that it sounded. Um, Live Forever is awesome. I love that song, and to hear it covered, but I just, I don't know. I just don't like them. <laughs> no, that's 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 completely legit. There is a, phen- um, do you, have you guys heard, you, uh, heard the band Cartel? Yeah. Oh, yes, um, they did they, they, a great cover. It's it's on uh, one of the like the punk goes whatever. So I think it's punk goes nineties, and they did a cover of Wonderwall, and it, it it's beautiful. They had like this like three or four part harmony that they do for the chorus, and so it's really good. Um, but what was I gonna say about uh, freaking forgot about what I was gonna say about the actual album now. Um, oh well, talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> oh, I remember now. I remember now. Okay. Um. So I, I um. When it comes to, like, sports, I always feel like you appreciate the sport more, like, if you played it as a kid. Like, I still like watching soccer because I played soccer as a kid. I, like, I kind of get it. And, and I feel the same way about music where, like, Oasis songs like Wonderwall was one of the first ones I learned to play on my guitar because yep. it's very, like, beginner-friendly because it's not easy. It's not, you know, smoke on the water, like three chords kind of thing. Like there's some decent chord changes and a couple different little bits, bits with the tempo and everything, but it's not hard. It's not a hard song at all to learn how to play. Um, and so I feel like you tend to get a little more of appreciation for a thing. Like if you're doing it. And I, I, I think that's kind of how I feel about Oasis where like, yeah, I, I, I remember sitting there in my dorm room, you know, farting around and trying to learn how to play this thing and then i finally kind of got the pattern down and um and then when you're listening and you listen to a song a thousand times because you're trying to hear the parts that you're missing and it it just adds another layer when you're listening to it you know years later that you know not everyone would get because they haven't gone through that process yeah okay yeah personally that's where i kind of link up with the album I got you. Yeah, that that yep, that's where it is for me too because it it actually was the very first song I learned on guitar, Wonderwall. Which is why the meme. So, anyways, here's Wonderwall came because everybody's played it at some point or another. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, I guess that means it's my turn now, isn't it? I guess if we have to let you go. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> um, you're not you're not from Virginia until you've bought a Dave Matthews Band album. Um, So let me just state that right now. So, like, (laughs) the 90s were, like, were were the Dave Matthews decade. Um, They came to prominence in, like, the late 80s. They they were, like, very much in the same vein as um, the Grateful Dead. They started locally and built a rat, like a rabid local following. And it was people recording shows, um, on tape and then passing them around to their friends. And that's how they got bigger. And then they got a, 
an LP or an EP, and then their EP turned into Under the Table and Dreaming, which was like their first big album. And then their second album, or like second big um, produced album, was what is my favorite album of theirs, and I think just one of the best albums of the 90s, and that's Crash. Um, just just an outstanding album, just from from top to bottom. Um, it's just such a good album. I mean, this was the one that, like, it, it was Crash Into Me was, like, constantly on loop on VH1 on MTV, like, all the time. Um, it, you've probably heard it a million times. Um, yeah, this was the first concert that I ever went to, was I went and saw the Dave Matthews Band with my dad at a at um, what is now Jiffy Lube Live, but at the time it was the Nissan uh, Pavilion. But like, <laughs> yeah, it's just this, it, it's, and that's the thing is, is like it was, it, it fit into that alternative category because it's not really like super rocking. Like nobody's going to be like, man, Dave, Dave Matthews is shredding, bro. No, he's not shredding. No, definitely not shredding. <laughs> like He had, um, there, there were so many influences with yeah. him too. Didn't he live in Africa for a while? He did, and he yeah. brought like that. So that was even with living in Pennsylvania, you know, I was in college and my um, roommate that I lived with was huge Dave Matthews band fan. So um, we had friends in Charlottesville, I think. Yep, which is that where he's we would like, come down and visit. Yeah, yeah exactly. We went to um, a bar and, you know, where he originally played and stuff. And we thought we were badass, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I appreciated them just as much. And I lived in Pennsylvania. So, okay. yeah, he's good. Well, you hit that Venn diagram of people who appreciated Dave Matthews, right? Like it was, it was hippies. It was people from Virginia. <laughs> it was college kids. So there was like this Venn diagram where all three of those things kind of converged and you're in one of those sections. So yeah, that worked out perfectly. Um, but yeah, like they're, they're, they're kind of jam band. They're kind of like jazzy because there's a freaking saxophone player in there. Like, but just yeah. in general, like there, there's an album that, that Dave does with this guy, Tim Reynolds. Tim Reynolds is just a really amazing guitarist. And it's just the two of them with guitars. And it's such a good album. Like if, if you're just like hanging out on a, on a Sunday, you're not really doing anything. You're maybe just like cleaning the house or just doing whatever you need background music. You pop that one live at Luther college. It's like such a good album. And he also does the same thing. The storytelling thing that I love, like he does it, he'll do it between songs and, and like talk about whatever nonsense. And he's, and he's just stupid and funny. And he's got his weird little accent that he has. Cause he's from, yeah, he's from South Africa. And then he moved to, um, America and he was living in uh, Charlottesville and he was working as a bartender and that's how he got into being in a band. It was, it was really kind of cool. Like it's a pretty cool story. Um, let's go back to Miss Trisha. What you got for your, your next album that we missed in this uh, 90s Blime, stuff? 40 ounces to freedom. <laughs> <laughs> it was like no other They're in there still to this day. There isn't anything else that's like sublime. You know, it's one of those go-to albums, like you can listen to it at a party, you can listen to it uh, in the car, you can listen to it when you're just sitting, you know, like you can use it for anything and it's phenomenal. You know, I I think that had Bradley Noel not died, that they would have continued making awesome music. And that's another thing with, um, that you were saying about Eminem, how he took like the current events and made them into music. They used what was going on. They, um, the one, the Rodney King song about the riots, they have that one. So, you know, they took a lot of the influences in their neighborhood and put that into music. So, 
yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. And like the song, I mean, the friggin' name of the song is called Date Rape. Like, the first time you oh, hear yeah. that song and you're like, wow, this is some heavy shit that they're talking about here. Like, it's, yeah. Sublime is, yeah, like you said, they're, they're in a category all to themselves. I mean, if anything, I guess they're technically ska, but not really. Like, I would put them almost in the same category as like No Doubt. Um, yeah, that's how they have that ska vibe to them, but but the lyrics are way better than most ska music. Oh, for sure. You know, yeah. so oh, yeah. it fit. You know, it just picked up right in that '90s style, but right. with the ska. Well, and also too, I like that you've 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 hit a uh, another circle in the Venn diagram that I missed for um, for Dave Matthews, and that would be Potheads, um, <laughs> because it also. <laughs> Sublime also crosses into that category too, where like. So I guess I fall right into that circle of the Venn diagram. <laughs> well, college kids, you know, there you go, you're good. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> it's like Sublime's still good. I'm not, I'm not discrediting them in any way, shape, or form. But like, we all knew somebody in high school who was like always stoned, and they were just like, "Dude, Sublime's like my favorite band." And you're just like, "Of course they are." And let me guess, let me guess, Two Joints is your favorite song of theirs, isn't it? How'd you know? Just, it's, it's cool, man. Don't worry about it. It's, it's fine. <laughs> no, but definitely a good call here. Um, uh, we'll reverse the circle here. Uh, MC Brooks, or actually Steve. Steve, what's your, uh, what's your next album? Did we talk about at all on the previous ones, Californication? We did not. My red hat chili pepper it's a great album too because yeah. this will work because this will work as a pick for you and a pick for me because we'll just talk about the chili peppers in general because i thought it was a travesty that we did not in fact have um blood sugar sex magic on this list yeah i mean it just they're they're definitely another one of those bands that like if you said 90s they're one that comes up for 90s for me even though they've been doing awesome stuff you know, for a long time. To me, 90s is where they fit in. It's about where you hit your peak. Um, and, and Californication was actually a bigger album for me for them. As far as, like, when I actually started listening to their stuff and we were getting into them. Um, more so, like, I had to go back to some of their older stuff. But um, the it was Other Side, the song off of this one, that I remember watching the music video for. And I'm like all right, what is going on with this band now? And it just kind of snowballed from there. This is, and that song too, like of all of their songs that they've done, Other Side, there's something about the way it sounds. It, it, this, the, and it like the, the subject matter, I've, I've never been addicted to drugs. Um, but like the, the subject matter, the lyrics, like this is a heavy hitting song. Like yeah. he, he literally wants to inject drugs in his arm, but he can't because of so much scar tissue that he's going to do it on the other side. What the fuck? Like that's that's. Amazing. I mean, you listen to that song, you watch Requiem for a Dream, and you're ready to just crawl into your bed and never come back. <laughs> exactly right. Like, but like, yeah. Let, let's just talk about the the Chili Peppers for a second, man. Like. 90s, yeah. This was their this was their decade. You know, we talked about the you know 90s was the Dave Matthews <laughs> decade. It was it was it was Dave for like this tiny little piece. It was Nirvana. It was Red Hot Chili Peppers. It was Eminem. Like this was their decade for sure. And like Blood Sugar Sex Magic was amazing. You had Give It Away. Now you had um, Under the Bridge. Like this album, Californication was just. I think Californication was like 
Blood Sugar Sex Magic was amazing. They had an album between this. It was called One Hot Minute, which was okay. Um, and then Californication was just like, hey, reminder, we're the Chili Peppers and we're fucking awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Scar Tissue is a great song. Californication, like the title track is a great song. I mean, obviously we talk about other side, but I mean, there's a lot of really good stuff on there. Yeah. Just a, just a great, just a great album in general. Um, and like, I feel like they've, um, this album was like an evolution for them too. Cause like, it was like, Hey, we can still do that heavy stuff that we did and still make it sound good and not like make it sound like a rehash of under the bridge. Cause that was their big breakout hit really. Yeah. And I mean, it, it it's weird too. Cause I mean, that's, that album was eight years before Californication. Like you said, they had one hot minute, like right in between them, but that's a forgettable album. And it's almost like there was a tipping point there. Cause I mean, like they had some really good songs, like their cover of superstition and stuff like that. Like, um, they had some stuff in the eighties, but like, you know, under the bridge was their moment. And then it was like, okay, from here on, we either kind of like fade away and we're a one hit wonder or we keep going. And then it just kept building from there. Like, I remember by the way, like being anticipating like by the way coming out and then the double album stadium arcadium. Um, then everyone found out that Will Ferrell looked like their drummer and it just <laughs> took off from there. <laughs> yeah. Um, MC, what's your take on the on the Chili Peppers, man? Uh, I, I like the Chili Peppers. Um, I, I didn't get into them. I, I, I remember the Californication album, but I really didn't get into them until um, I think it was the album By the Way. I think that was that was the album that really kind of that, that really kind of uh, got me into them. And then from there, I kind of retroactively went back and kind of rediscovered uh, all of their earlier stuff because you know. I, didn't actually know that they had released all this music in the 90s um but i'm a fan i'm a fan i like them okay yeah i mean it's yeah I, and, there are some people that i know that, that that don't like them and like the the knock on them is is they're like they're just a little too obnoxious and over the top for me and i was like that's yeah. kind of what i like about them that's kind of their point so <laughs> it's funny i was re i was looking through their wiki page now and uh, you guys were talking about um Californication and also Blood Sugar Sex Magic. Yeah. And I thought it's it's actually interesting that their guitarist actually left the band between those two albums. He yeah. left after the first one and then came back right as they recorded Californication. Maybe that's the reason the music in between wasn't as well, good. What it was is is the guy's name was John Frusciante and yeah. Frusciante got into drugs big time and it was, I mean, he was the youngest one in the band, but the reason why Frusciante was in the band in the first place was because Hillel Slovak, their guitarist before him, died of a drug overdose. Mm. And when Frusciante came in and there was like this young kid who was just this like virtuoso, they were like, damn, this guy's amazing. Um, and then he started getting into drugs too. They all kind of freaked out and they were like, this is going to be a repeat of what happened with Hillel. I don't know if we can handle this. And he left, went and did his own thing. Actually, the guitarist in between for one hot minute was Dave Navarro. Of, oh. Yeah, like, who's oh. a f fucking great guitarist. Um, the album, like, one hot minute, I actually really like. Um, but it's definitely not as good as Blood Sugar Sex Magic or as good as Californication. Um, it's just, you know how, like, um, a perfect example would be, like, Rage Against the Machine was awesome. Soundgarden was awesome. Audio Slave was pretty good. Like, sometimes the pieces just don't fit together the same 
and it just doesn't work right. It's 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 good, but it's not great. And that's that's how I kind of do that one. But for Shawnee came back for um, Californication after he cleaned up his act and like was just so happy to be back with them and had found himself and had gotten clean that like that's why I think this album sounded as good as it was is because they're literally like it's full, it sounds horrible and cheesy but this album is so full of joy that they that they didn't lose him like they lost Hillel Slovak plus it goes back to something we were talking about all the way back with Eminem it's like they were writing about stuff that was personal and in any album any artist you can always tell when it's they're writing something to write something or they're writing something because they have a reason to write something you can always taste that difference yeah um mc what's your what's your next album and we'll, we'll each do um we'll we'll do a couple more here and then we'll go ahead and wrap up here in a couple minutes all right i'm gonna i'm actually gonna steal steve's because he mentioned it earlier and and because i forgot about this album until he said something and that's uh the downward spiral nine inch nails dude <laughs> such a good album well honestly um trisha chose that one too so oh, okay. <laughs> oh there we go nothing yeah, wrong with that though <laughs> yeah there's a much i'm paying attention all right no it's no we, we we were all talking about it. everybody mentioned it so it's it's fine like no, this album was like, and, and I think this is one of those albums, like I'll talk about it real quick and I'm sorry, I'm like stealing your thunder on this one. Um, this was one of those albums that like made it okay for kids who were into rock music to also be into electronic music. Yeah, it was a bridge yeah. gapper. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I actually think this album is what got me into electronic in electronic music. Cause I, really, I really didn't listen to it prior to uh, the first time I ever heard of this. Um, with with this album in general, the, the big song obviously off of this is closer. But like, <laughs> I remember hearing that song, and I'm like, am I am I allowed to be listening to this right, right. now? Like, it's not even like I was hiding it from my parents. Like, even just me alone by myself, I'm like, I, I'm kind of self refereeing at this point. I'm like, I'm not sure I'm ready for this. <laughs> that's a perfect that's a perfect tie in because, and, and Trisha, maybe you can attest to this as a, as a female. I feel like any girl who listened to alternative music in the 90s said to some boy at one point or another, oh, we're going to do this <laughs> to this song. And it's just like, and every dude was just like, hell yeah, we are. Like, it's, Yeah. This was, this, this was the banging song. Like, this was, it was. Right? It was. Yeah. Throughout the 90s. There are so many kids in the night, uh, the little babies that were born in the 90s with the middle name Trent. Oh my God. Like, <laughs> Thanks, Trent. Yeah, appreciate it, bud. Good looking out. <laughs> Unbelievable. Oh, this, <laughs> this was such a good album, but also too, like what, what we're missing with this too, is an often talked about song that we have um, discussed on this podcast at great length. Was also first on this. Um, and why can I not think of the name of the song now? Um, Are you talking about hurt. Thank you. Okay. Um, because this was the f this was where it came from was it was on this nine it was on this album um it was on um downward spiral and trent reznor was the one that sang it originally but we've talked about this before where johnny cash covered it and cash's version 
was so goddamn good that Trent Reznor was like, it's like it's like being in love with a girl and then she breaks up with you and she finds somebody else and they're better for them than you were. <laughs> like he basically was like, Hurt broke up with me and started dating Johnny Cash and they're better for each other. <laughs> it probably happened to a lot of people in regards oh, to yeah. Johnny Cash. <laughs> oh man, yeah. Yeah, but like this is this was an, an amazing song, an amazing album, like the whole the whole thing. Like I, I still have this somewhere too, if I remember correctly. This is another one of those. Um, it's issued to you if you lived in the suburbs and grew up in the nineties. Like, <laughs> yes. oh, it, it's in a CD wallet somewhere. Exactly. Yeah, probably still on the visor of your car. Yeah. <laughs> um. Let's yeah, let's go ahead and close close up here pretty soon. Um. Yeah, I'm old. It's my bedtime. I know, right? We're all old. <laughs> God, it's been the trend of this episode is we're all old. Um, I don't, I don't have a specific album that I need to mention for this band, but I can tell you that it's a travesty that we've not mentioned them yet. We've mentioned them in passing, but we've not played any of their songs, and that is the Violent Femmes. The Violent Femmes are alternative music. Period. They are. Um, they might the reason why they may not have gotten any traction on this is because I don't believe that they most of their stuff was 80s if I remember correctly I'm, I'm looking them up right now on wiki um, but I can't think of alternative music without thinking of the Violent Femmes period like you, you just can't and they're, they're, they're just so ingrained with it so like if anything like we've mentioned before with the Beatles any of those alternative bands that you liked can thank the Violent Femmes for kind of breaking walls down and doing some really fucking weird stuff with music, <laughs> but at the same time, some really weird stuff that was really badass. And like, they're they're just a really good app, good group. They just they they put out good music. They put out good stuff. If you've ever seen them live, holy shit! Like they are they are awesome live. Um. They're just just a great band in general. Um, in fact, they they do, and it's the weirdest song ever. Let me see if I can find it um, on Spotify here, real quick. So there was this album that they did. Um, oh no, it doesn't look like they can. It's it was basically like a Saturday morning cartoons album by alternative bands in the nineties. Interesting. And I'm gonna see if I can find it violent femmes so like for instance uh, Sublime plays um, Hong Kong Fooey it's, like it's like the greatest shit you've ever heard um, so this is like like a prototype version of those punk goes whatever yes where it's like them doing their genre versions of something goofy yes yes that's awesome yes and I'm gonna find the album and I am making it my goddamn mission but um they do that. Um, the Violent Femmes do Eep Op Ork Ah Ah, which was the song that. Um, and the winner of the Jet right Screamer now, contest yeah, is. Yeah, the Jet Screamer from the Jetsons. Wait, that, that came from them? Yeah. Yeah, but the, yeah, but the Violent Femmes play. Well, they cover that, right? And I'm playing it right now, but I mean, you guys can't hear it. You can hear it in the podcast. <laughs> Oh, look how fabulous. I remember the Matthew Sweet song, the Scooby-Doo one. Matthew Sweet did the Scooby-Doo theme song? Yes. yes. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. Where, where has this album been my whole life? 
Oh, and the murmurs. That's the um, that one that I listed today from um, the single, the that, the one hit yeah, wonders. The, do you guys remember that magazine from the '90s? Um, what was it, Hum Magazine or something like that? But you got CDs with each one. I do. Yeah. And, yeah. Oh, that was awesome. I love that so much. Like I look forward to it every single month. The album was Saturday Morning Cartoons Greatest Hits. Let me look that up. Saturday Morning Cartoons Greatest Hits. This is also, too, um, because we're all Guitar Hero fans, and we've talked about that at great length, too. <laughs> um, do you remember the song, Steve, uh, from Guitar Hero called Psychobilly Freakout by the Reverend Horton Heat? Oh, I hate that song. Oh, I hate that song so hard. Okay, so here's the thing about that song that's awesome. That guy, the Reverend Horton Heat, do you remember the theme song to Johnny Quest? Of course I do. He does a cover of that. And he fucking shreds on that on that cover. It's so fucking good. Um but like, oh my gosh! This li- oh, that's yeah. where the Ramon Spider-Man cover yeah. came from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my god! <laughs> All right, I get this now. Like, I'm I need to find this. You're in. Yeah. Okay. Um, Liz Fair does the banana pl- the banana splits theme song. Um, Collective Soul does the Bugaloos. Uh, the Butthole Servers do Underdog, <laughs> which is just it's always funny to say Butthole Servers. Um, Obviously. Yeah. Uh, the Violent Femmes do Ebop Orca. Uh, um, the Toadies do Ghoulie Get Together. Uh, Sublime does Hong Kong Fooey. Um, the Murmurs, yeah, as as um, as Trisha was mentioning there, does HR Puff and stuff. Like it's just such a good album across the board, man. It's yeah, we'll, we'll you, you got to download that album, and then you'll you can thank me later. Um, all right, so let's let's all. Okay, so we talked about the Violent Femmes. Definitely, we had to have them on the list. They have to be because they're just they are alternative music. Um, another one that we did not mention at all, which is just a fucking banging album, was Odile by Beck. Oh, yeah. Which, like, I, I, don't, I think everybody owned that one, too. So we'll just give that a quick mention. But yeah, I mean, Trish, I know you had a couple other albums. If you want to go ahead and list those off, go ahead. Um, the only other... Well, the artist, R.E.M., um, R.E.M. definitely deserves a mention because Michael Stipe kind of like moved like the alternative. You know, he was one of the they were one of the first bands listed as alternative. That's true. Yeah. Um, and then Marilyn Manson. <laughs> Marilyn Manson was another one that kind of bridged the gap between it, everybody, you know. Um, so that was another one. And what was it? Anna Christ Superstar was the first one that came out. That was another... I think that was his big hit. He might have had an album before that, but that was like that one had like the beautiful people and stuff on it that yeah. was like his that, whole thing. That one falls into the same category that you were mentioning before, Steve. Um, the should I be listening to this album? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That one made you feel like I don't know if I should be doing this. Like that's, but he he pushed the envelope big time in a way that I think like because like and even Eminem. I mean, those you want to talk about genres that are completely polar opposite of each other. Those two had a lot of mutual respect for each other, and like they actually like like uh, Eminem shouted it out, shouted him out on one of his albums too. Like they they definitely like saw what the other person was doing and still like gave them props. So like yeah, for sure, Marilyn Manson, um, REM. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you on REM. I I never really got into them, 
I definitely owned the album Monster, which had like What's the Frequency Kenneth on it. Um, but like other than that, I just I was never really a big REM fan because I, they were just a little bit before to, uh, before my time. Yeah, I can't that's... I can't drink an orange pop without thinking about them. The I know, crush. right? <laughs> like Orange Crush, <laughs> but. I think, see, that's where the age, because I, w I was just a little bit older than you guys. So when I first, I think Stand came out. So I had cousins that were older than me and they would drive me around in their cars and listen to that. And it, then when they released their other stuff in the 90s, I was like, oh, hey, that's, you know, Michael Stipe. So, and it just kind of stuck. But, and I really, I wasn't a huge fan of them. Um, I mean, losing your, my religion is really good, but it's um they still deserve respect you know for what they did i mean they were not like any other band at that time so oh yeah for sure um mc you got anything else on your list man uh no i think i covered everything covered it all um there's there's just so much god there's so much and, and i feel like we touched on all of it um i think um trisha did we get all yours Yep, you got all of them. Steve, did we get them all? <laughs> I mean, unless you guys want to get into some like really weird heavy metal stuff that I'm into, but other than that, no. <laughs> <laughs> Save that for another podcast. Um, I wanna, that you will and then delete. <laughs> then I will delete. Um, I want to end on... I, I like bookending things. Like what, In the first episode, we talked about Nirvana and how they really changed what 90s music was going to be in 1991. So I think it would be fitting for us to kind of end cap that. And I'm going to do it with um, their last album they did before Kurt passed away. And that was the MTV Unplugged album that they had. Um, and I'm going to play what was my favorite song off of there. And that was Where Did You Sleep Last Night, which is a Lead Belly cover. Um, because this, I feel like they made, I don't want to say they made the 90s, but their influence even though they weren't there for the entire thing, because obviously Kurt was no longer there. Um, I feel like without them, it still would have happened, but it wouldn't have maybe been as soon. It would have taken a little bit longer and it would have been a little bit different. But um, I think Nirvana was kind of the catalyst that kind of kicked the whole thing off. So, Well put, my man. Yeah. Well, appreciate that. Thank you. Um, Trisha, thank you for joining us. This was... You're, yeah, thank you. It's like we didn't even have to teach anything. You were just <laughs> like, like, like plug, like plug and play, you know. And it's like here, use Trisha. She knows lots of stuff about '90s music. Um, this is a topic we love going into. We all love music, so we will definitely uh, breach this topic again. Um, MC, it's a topic that we're going to discuss as we get into the hip hop and the rap and the R and B side of things with me and you and Seagats, and um, we'll bring. Uh, Janelle Hart, the mouth of the South. <laughs> I love saying that. Um, <laughs> we'll bring her on too. Uh, like it, it's, it's going to be fun. We love music. We love talking about it. Like, I think that if I could do anything, like if you could like, just imagine like being yourself, but you're getting to talk to God before you're born and God's like, all right, so what do you want to be? Uh, I'll give you the skill sets, and then when, as you grow up, you will have the abilities to do these things. Um, mine would be to be a musician, because um, I've tried to learn how to play guitar, and I have stupid fingers, and I can't do it. Um, <laughs> I would want to be a musician, because I just, I love the, having something flow through you. Like, I try to do it with, with speaking and with writing, um, and make that an art form. I wish I could do it as a singer, and a songwriter, and a, 
and a, and a guitar player. Um, and that's why I love music so much. Um, and I think that that's kind of all of us. We, we all love it because it speaks to us in a way that a lot of other things just don't. And that's why, I mean, that's why we do this. That's why we do this, this podcasting thing. You know, what, what do they say? For those who can't, they teach. Like for, for those who can't sing, who, who can't play guitar, they, uh, they talk about it all the time. Or they have an amazing rapper who can do it himself on the podcast with them. Because you need to check out MC Brooks's album. It's called Dark Dawn. It's on Bandcamp. It's on Spotify. It's all over the place. Listen to the dude, buy his stuff, help him out. He's an awesome guy. He's an awesome singer. He does amazingly dope uh, video game and superhero references in his songs, so y- we need to support him as much as we possibly can. Thank um, you. Of course, man, of course. We appreciate what you do. Um, go to the website. It's greatgeekrefuge.com. Uh, we've got podcasts. We've got articles. Uh, the March Madness thing. Holy crap, we didn't even talk about that. Um, but we've only been doing this for like three hours. Jeez Louise. This has been a long-ass podcast. Uh, <laughs> my wife is going to kill me. Um, but... <laughs> We'll we'll figure something out. We'll talk about the March Madness. I promise, guys, we will. It'll be there. Don't worry. It's there. It ain't going anywhere. We're gonna keep writing about it, and we'll talk about it eventually. But for all of us here at GGR Pirate Radio, uh, my name is Mike Lunsford, and thank you so much for listening. We appreciate all that you do to support our lovely little venture here. Have a great night. Thank you for listening to GGR Pirate Radio. Make sure you check out our website greatgeekrefuge.com for more podcasts and our awesome articles. This has been Pirate Radio Network Production Juice Bags. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, boy!